in the U.S., I grew up in a very small town called Monroe. It's in Wisconsin. Okay. As a population of 10,000 people. Okay. Oh, there were no immigrants. Like, for those who can't see me, um, I'm not brown and I was the brown person. <laughs> okay. Like, that's how white we're talking about this town being. <laughs> Welcome to Foreign-ish, where guests share their stories about being a first-gen American. I'm your host, Sirku Dejeni. Yeah, one younger brother. He's just like a year younger than me. Is he in Chicago too? Mm-hmm. He got married uh, this summer. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> You're trying to move on with their family planning stuff, but it's like, yeah, getting a house is impossible. And I don't envy anybody trying to buy they... a house right now. <laughs> Not, my house isn't that nice. Like, it's okay. But yeah. Like... We were there, right? It's the same place. Yeah. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's nothing, you know lavish or whatever it's fine girl it's you have a house you have your own space. you have your own property <laughs> the name so i've t- thought about like moving into a different space but then every time i look at markets i'm like whatever i'm gonna sell this for it's gonna give me a shoe box <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and for what like this is fine the market is is it like i mean i would think it's a little bit better than chicago it's improving yeah it's it's not as bad as it was, um, but it's still not great. Mm. And it is better than Chicago for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now hold on to that girl. Right. How do you want to be introduced? Yeah. Or you want to? Resident Albanian weirdo. <laughs> I'll let you do that introduction. <laughs> Today I'm talking to Kime Abduli, an immigration attorney practicing out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. So it's been a minute since we've seen each other over the last few years. This is just a personal side thing. Like I've um, immigration, obviously, if you're a child of immigrants, like that's always in your mind at some point of whatever, however, it's affecting you and your family. But um, I've become just personally more like interested in immigration policies and stuff just from seeing all the things that are going on in the U.S. from like past governments and I mean, past administrations, et cetera, et cetera. So really excited that you're here today. I'm not going Thank to you. bombard you with 100 questions about immigration, but um, we'll, we'll talk about some of those things. But um, so one of the first things that I wanted to um, talk to you about is like the one thing that I really enjoy is like for people who don't know Kime, like she obviously she's an immigration attorney, but she always posts these anecdotes on on Facebook of like her, whether it's like about the cases, you know, the clients that she's serving, about the challenges. But I love the success stories. Those are always like my favorite um, because it's just like it looks like it's never going to get there. But then <laughs> there's this like glimmer it of hope. It feels like it's never going to get there sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but I, I always enjoy those. And I'm it's just like kind of like a glimpse into um, your world as um, an attorney and someone who's just constantly in that world. Um, first, I, I just want to ask like what... Um, what made you decide to just kind of like share those snippets, I guess, with, with online, with your um, online With presence? that in particular, I feel like it's, it's an opportunity to kind of um, share with people the human side of it. Because I think a lot of times people get so caught up in the process of it and the policy and like the, the non-human piece of it that they forget that these are real people with real lives that are impacted by this stuff on the day to day. And that it, it runs through their lives at like the smallest levels. So things that don't seem like a big deal, maybe when you're kind of on the outside looking in, are actually very real things to people who are experiencing it. 
Um, and I, I see that from different angles. Um, one, just, you know, as like the attorney on the case and having to deal with these clients and kind of seeing how that plays out for them. But two, I'm an immigrant myself, my family, they're all immigrants. So we've kind of like lived through that experience as well. And just knowing that and having lived through it personally, having seen it my entire life, just how that impacts my family, people that we know in the community, that sort of a thing. I think um, it's just a, it's a very real piece of it. And I think people don't always get a chance to see that um, with immigration in particular, just being like such a hot topic <laughs> for people to talk <laughs> about, you know. You're always hearing like the worst snippets on Fox News or whatever, talking about like, you know, we need to like get rid of these people and not really human people and whatever. I feel like it's just an opportunity for me to share that human piece of it, even with people maybe from that community to say like, okay, hold on, before you get to this part, mm-hmm. like here's this very human person who's experiencing life. And Im- the immigration policies are just one piece of it but they go through all the daily shit that everybody goes through just like anybody else so you mentioned you yourself are an immigrant so awesome club to be in Mm -hmm. um tell us a little bit about your background um i i believe you came here when you were younger from macedonia from Macedonia, so yes. let, me, let me get into that whole thing. Get there's into a, it. There's a lot happening in that region, like identity crisis overload. So I was born in what is today Macedonia, um, but I am ethnically Albanian. So I grew up in a Albanian family, Albanian cultures, Albanian customs, Albanian language. Like, it was all that. So don't let the Macedonian part of it fool you. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just there for confusion. Um, and so just to kind of back up on that a little bit, and let me explain where that is. Yes. So Macedonia is directly north of Greece. It borders Greece on the north, and then Albania is its own country, and that borders Macedonia on the west. So that whole region is just like the Balkan region or whatever. There's a lot happening over there, um, mostly infighting. That's <laughs> what we're best at. Sounds familiar, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's all the same thing, but everybody's just throwing hands all the time. So anyway, um, that's how we have all this confusion happening with the borders because then there's all these like wars that are happening and they keep shifting where things are. So um, the area that I'm from, it's technically a part of Macedonia, but at some point it used to be part of Albania. But then it's one of those like border switch we situations. Know, we know one of those. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, so that's that. But yeah, um, moved to the U.S. when I was about two years old, and then moved back and forth multiple times. So throughout my like elementary school education, we actually moved back once for two years, mm-hmm. and then came back to the U.S. for a couple of years, and then went back for like another year, and then moved back to the U.S. I don't know. What was, the, what was the? What was the switching going on with my parents who just couldn't? They, lo- they didn't want to like. It's the it's the immigrant struggle of not wanting to let go of like yeah. their their roots and their homeland and feeling like they were getting too far away from it and yeah. then suddenly having this like identity crisis and moving back but then being like yeah no we can't feed ourselves here and then moving again yeah. all of that um, so that was through like my elementary education but mm-hmm. then after sixth grade I think is when we moved back to the U S and from then and on we never like moved back but we would go back every summer so i would spend three months out of every year basically all through like college back home so i was there and i was here and and everywhere and and doing trying to do both things at the same time 
spoiler alert it doesn't work <laughs> it doesn't work <laughs> no. well i feel like that you kind of have the best of both worlds because you get to like because there's a lot of people you know the kids the first gens or whatever they come or they're born here or they grow up here when they're really young and then you know i think there is a um piece of that culture that's with them but i feel like you get to be like it sounds like for me you were obviously ingrained in the culture you know the language you you know kind of you have your feet in both worlds yeah. um, but what was it like as a kid like growing up here but then like okay we're going back oh wait but then we're coming back it was so confusing it was so difficult like as a kid because you don't know how to process that at yeah. that age as far as like what's going on or what the expectations are right yeah. um so like your family or your culture expects one thing of you but then the environment that you're in expects something different and you're constantly like trying to juggle these two things that don't necessarily fit. Mm. And so growing up, it was really challenging because I felt like I was being asked to choose. Like you either have to be Albanian or you have to, or you're not Albanian. Like it was mm. one or the other. And I think it took like a long lot time for me to realize like you actually don't have to choose. You just ultimately you end up creating this your own identity yeah. that meshes both of them and like you said it's kind of an opportunity to get the best of both worlds because there's good and bad in, in both or you know positive things that we might do or just dumb shit that everybody does and you're like okay well we don't have to do that part <laughs> you can kind of choose <laughs> to phase it out so you make that a part of your own identity, but that takes time, I think, to like establish and to be comfortable with yeah. and to be like, okay, this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be. And there may be people that agree with it and people that don't, but at the end of the day, you know, you are who you are and that's it. So, so how would you explain that like to your, I'm thinking like if you're in school and stuff and then you have, I'm sure you have friends that you made in school. How would you explain the, the you know, the, the moves back and forth? I don't remember what I said about that. I'm sure You're I had saying, a story. Bye. Catch you next time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Moving. Bye. Um, I'm sure I had a story about that, but I can't remember what yeah. it was. Um, and just to kind of give further background on that, by the way, yeah. in the U.S., I grew up in a very small town called Monroe. It's in Wisconsin. Okay. As a population of 10,000 people. Okay. Oh, there were no immigrants. Like... For those who can't see me, um, I'm not brown, and I was the brown person. <laughs> okay, like that's how white we're talking about this town being. <laughs> so I was immediately like the other. Plus, um, I have a really weird name, and then like, do they just my, call you Kim? Like do they even Kim, Kimmy? Yeah, it was usually Kimmy, yeah. which is fine. Is it is Kimmy short for something? Kimmy is short. Okay, so my real uh, first name is actually Shkelchime. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad you said it, not me. <laughs> right, and that's basically everybody's reaction to that. Yeah. Um, but even when Albanians see that, they're like, "Who the hell gave you that name?" I'm like, "Listen, nobody asked me." <laughs> I get that too. My my name is two syllables, and like Ethiopians would be like, "Do you have a nickname?" And I'm like, "Bro, <laughs> it's two syllables, and you speak the language." Do you guys have a good name and not a good name? Uh, yeah, we. I feel like we do. We. I mean, we joke about it sometimes. Uh, so my. So for people, I didn't realize my name is kind of like an old lady name until I got to Ethiopia. People would be like, people would be like, oh yeah, my grandma's. That's my grandma's name, or that's my aunt's name. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. thank you for that. But um, yeah, I mean, there's like names that I probably wouldn't name my kids because they're either. I feel like they sound not bad, but like either they're kind of basic or common i guess okay. common names um i'm not gonna put anybody out there because i got a lot of you <laughs> <laughs> but 
<laughs> but yeah, does that how was that for you? A little bit, but we also like I said, we have this this ongoing identity issue mm. with with Albanians because on top of like the ethnic uh, or national identity, there's also religious identity. Same. So yeah. um, my family is Muslim. Okay, we're Muslim. Uh, a lot of most of Albanians in Macedonia would are typically Muslim. I think there is a Christian population in Albania proper that I think is probably divided between like Catholic and Orthodox hmm. um, Christian, but the vast majority are Muslim or it, in Albania proper. Actually, there's a lot of atheists as well. So that's a whole other story. But anyway, I love the layers. With, I love the layers. There's a lot going. How many podcast episodes we got? Here? We could do three part oh. girl, whatever you want. Yeah. So the uh, naming aspect of it, like my parents' generation and before, a lot of them have Muslim names. Okay. Um, and that's how Abduli happened. So, like, my last name is is very, you know. Is that your dad's Muslim. first name? No. No. Okay. So, it's just like the, it's become the family, the family last name. name. Okay. But we also have that naming practice going back where it would be, like, your name and then your dad's name and then your grandfather's name. And oh, you guys have that, too. Like, oh. traditionally, going yeah. back, we do have that okay. process. So, when I was there, actually, for first and second grade, like, early elementary school, the way they'd register me in schools, my dad's first name was my middle name. And I'm like, I didn't know I had a middle name, but okay. <laughs> I guess that's how we roll here. Um, and so, the the identity piece of it is, like, there is that whole, um, you know, religious aspect of it, but then now with, with national identity, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. So, as far as naming goes from my generation and on is when it switched to taking on more like traditionally or ethnic Albanian type names. So my name is actually an Albanian name. It's not, okay. it's not a, a religious name in any way. Um, but man, they've gotten way out of hand with that lately. Oh, really? Now you hear like celebrity names and celebrities naming their, their kids like Apple and shit. Like oh, <laughs> that's what Albanians really? do in Albanian. Yeah. In Albanian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that i'm like okay we didn't we didn't have to go there but anyway. a little extreme yeah, yeah. yeah okay that's um, interesting um but yeah that made it very interesting trying to be in school in monroe wisconsin with a yeah, name like that because yeah. i always had questions about like okay what kind of a name is this where are you from mm-hmm. um do you guys live in in trees you know the random they stuff did not that, like do you guys have cows i don't know just random questions oh, that like know. you know they just wanted to know or were curious about because they it, it's a place that didn't get people from outside of that population a lot. Like I was the outsider. They didn't think that you would pass for white though, because because of your you, you have fair skin. So I would think like, oh, this is just another white girl. Nobody on site maybe, but then they get talking to me and they're like, nah, <laughs> not one of us. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> Plot twist. Okay, 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 okay. And then on top of that, the fact that like my parents were also very conservative mm. in terms of like trying to maintain the culture okay so i didn't have friends outside of school like i would go to school i would hang out with with kids during like school hours and then once the bell rang and we went home like i did not have a social life i was we didn't go out with friends after school dang so So i was really living a double life for a while (laughs) so no movies no sleepovers no no, no. no. oh man none of that yeah that's tough yeah 
So that I think also just kind of added to my experience in trying to like blend the two things or trying to figure out two things at the same time. Okay, so then you're on your, one of your um, sagas back to the motherland. Mm -hmm. So now you're there and you're going to school there for a little bit. What are your classmates there? Like, are they saying, oh, you're too American? Like, are you there? Oh, they, yeah, I was totally they do that? American there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. They're like, oh, the American's back. I'm like, but you're, you know what? <laughs> but you speak the language, right? So, like, can you cuss I them do. out and stuff when they bother you or, like... Yeah. Okay. And totally all of that. Um, and you learn that in first grade. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you do. You have to survive in the Albanian streets, you know? It's just kind of how it is. Um, the Albanian streets. But that's the other thing that I think, like, threw them off is the fact that I do speak Albanian and I'm able to speak it, like, I don't have an accent, when mm -hmm. I speak Albanian. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that, I speak it the way that they speak it in the area that I'm from. The so dialect, every yeah. area has like its own dialect. But like the area that my parents are from, like I have no problem communicating in, in that language. So they're like, oh, that's kind of weird that your Albanian is so good and um, you don't, you know, typically live here. But yeah, I was the person that had that experience with like, oh, your Albanian is so good. And then you come here and they're like, oh, your English is so good. <laughs> Damn, you got it both sides. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? Forget all of you. <laughs> okay, so you're doing these travels back and forth, and then you you have your. I mean, it sounds like you have solid grasp of your identity on both sides. Um, what were the expectations, I guess, of your parents of you then, right? Because I feel like obviously they're trying to give you a better life, you know, coming here in the states, but then they're also taking you back, make sure you have your culture and all this other stuff. But yeah. like you mentioned earlier, like oh, they want you to be Albanian. But, I mean, do they also want you to just, like, what, go to the traditional route, get a good job, blah, 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 and then, like, go back? Like, what were, what were their expectations for you? Did you ever have those conversations? Um, I don't know that the expectations were, like, very clearly stated out to me yeah. at any point, but I felt like um, the messaging that I got was, like, I was still, even though we lived here and had opportunities to, you know, a lot more things than we would back home or access to a lot more opportunities, it was still expected that I would fit within like the traditional Albanian norms and molds and all of that. Mm -hmm. That I would stick to kind of that protocol that like, okay, maybe you'll go to school, get a job, whatever, but still you should marry within the culture, have mm -hmm. a family, kind of like meet all of those expectations. Which is where we start to run into problems. <laughs> uh oh. What is what is what are the problems? So what? the problems is that I don't fit into that mold yeah. at all. Yeah. And so you know, it's kind of caused a, um, I wouldn't say a rift, but like kind of a divergence in a way between me and like the culture or the family. Um, I just, I outgrew it. Yeah. You know, you get to that point sometimes when you're, when you are the kid in that situation that like you can only grow with the culture so far and then at some point your paths diverge. Yeah. Um, and you have to be okay with that. But like that's a, that's a tough that's a tough divergence like that's a tough bridge to cross so they were like hardliners like yeah. it didn't occur to them like okay she's american kind of so maybe she might no really <laughs> they were like you were doing it this way here's the like, what do you mean you're not gonna do things exactly the way that we do them yeah which i can to some extent understand why they might think that way because you know again like that's they're raised in a culture very different. Yeah. I mean, their expectations are very different. They The way that they view life is very different, and it just has not crossed their mind that like anybody would would move away from that or why. Mm. Um, so in a lot of ways, I felt like that was my parents' generation, like their battle to try to navigate, like, okay, how are they going to now raise kids in, yeah. in these two worlds? And they're completely unprepared, of course. Um, 
so you know that's fine but like they're gonna have to deal with their battles and I had to deal with mine and that's it but it felt very restrictive a lot of times and so having to like come out of that and be okay with just me doing my own thing was definitely its own process did did it um did you see a difference between you and how many siblings do you have um three they're all younger are they boys girls I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. Okay. Did you see a difference between, like, the the way they raised you or the expectations they had of you versus, for example, your younger brothers? Like, did you see a difference between the daughter and the son type of thing? Not too much with me and the brother that's right after me because there's about two years difference between us. So the two of Same. us were kind of, they tried to, to, to keep it pretty similar between the two of us. But then my younger two siblings... Uh, my sister is nine and a half, almost ten years younger than me. Okay. And then the youngest brother is a year after her. So it's like we were kind of coming up in pairs. Yeah. So me and my first brother, I feel like we got different parents compared to the other two. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> like ten years later, my parents were, were different people. Um, so the expectations for them, I felt like, were slightly different. Still not completely liberal, I wouldn't say, but not as restrictive maybe as they were. So millennials versus yeah. Gen, Gen Zs. Right. <laughs> um, and then also just being the oldest, mm. um, you know, you're kind of like the test kid a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. Don't let us down. <laughs> right. You don't know what you're doing. Your parents don't know what they're doing. Like, we're just kind of all winging it. Yeah. I think I think you did all right. I, I, think, I think you're doing okay. I would say so. I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> Going back to your work, um, what made you decide to get into immigration law? Um, well, speaking of being the oldest, <laughs> um, having to navigate the immigration process a lot of times for my family, um, I was like the go-to kid because I was the one oh, who like spoke as a English child. As a child, yeah. Okay. So even though my dad spoke okay English, a lot of times I was having to navigate certain spaces with just my mom because my dad would be here and I would be okay. overseas having to like deal with consulates or overseas offices or whatever. Mm-hmm. My mom didn't speak any English. Mm-hmm. So I even remember being like ten years old and just being handed like immigration forms and my mom being like, Okay, so how do we fill this out? Oh my god. <laughs> and you're ten years old pretending you know everything because you speak English, right? Um, I hope you didn't send anybody permanently back to whoops <laughs> didn't read that word correctly <laughs> and not to say that like I obviously I obviously didn't know what I was doing but it, in our case it would be very simple relatively yeah. speaking forms yeah. there were definitely cases that had like way more complicated things going on and I wouldn't be involved with those but it, it just being exposed to that as a kid of like there is this process that people need help with and just the fact that like you are able to speak this language that makes it easier for the person to understand what needs to happen um i think was was kind of what got me into that into that space of being like okay i can be helpful to people i can help serve a community that maybe needs these services and doesn't know where to go with them Mm -hmm. and if i can facilitate that process for them i felt like i was doing a service as a kid you don't necessarily see it that way by any means and even growing up like no one ever said to me hey have you thought about immigration law i didn't know that was a thing Mm -hmm. at all um and so my undergrad is actually i was doing marketing and advertising like i was i was on a business track oh but throughout my life people with these immigration issues would just kind of come to me with these things and so over time i'm like you know why am i not doing something about this as like a career 
And so then I started thinking about, okay, what would that look like? What do I need to do? What kind of education is required? And realized that you just have to go through like the whole law school process and whatnot. So by the time I came to that point in my in my decision making about what I wanted to do with my future, um, I just committed myself to wanting to do immigration law. If you if you come from an immigrant family, obviously you know that there are there's a lot of things that your family has probably done to support other family members or others in the community, um, but just having those two different perspectives from like the American side and then the immigrant side, what are some what are some things that people misunderstand about your work in immigration? Definitely. Um, yeah, so a lot of misconceptions on both sides, um, but as far as like from the, from the American side of it, yeah. um, one of the biggest misconceptions that I run into is um, people not understanding how the immigration process works and how complicated and lengthy it is and all the barriers that really exist within it. Um, a lot of times, you know, the comment that I get is more or less, um, well, why don't they just apply for citizenship? Mm -hmm. Like, well, why, why don't they just get their papers? It's, why do don't it. you yeah. just do it? Um, why are you just intentionally trying to be, quote unquote, illegal? Like, like that's just something that people want to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's like the biggest problem that I run into. And people don't realize that there's a whole process involved in that. There are a lot of disqualifiers and, and, um, and hurdles in that process. And it's also, by the way, very expensive. For people like for example just assuming that you can file for first of all you can't apply straight for citizenship you don't just show up and become <laughs> a citizen that's not how it works oh okay um if you are born elsewhere and you immigrate to the u.s you have to be a permanent resident initially before you can apply for citizenship unless maybe one of your parents was a citizen when you were born that's a whole separate subject i won't get to that but there is like a it's that's its own process is becoming a, a legal permanent resident and then after that you go through additional checks to then maybe become a citizen um and so the application for residency itself the adjustment of status application is one thousand two hundred twenty five dollars wow um some people can afford that some people can't like not wow. everybody just yeah. has that money sitting around and especially if it's a family of four or five people like that adds up right um so it's also expensive on top of there just being all these hurdles in the way in the first place so you know with with americans in particular i feel like that's the one thing i am constantly having to explain to them that people don't just show up and decide you know what i'm yeah. just going to be undocumented this is fun i love running from the police all the time <laughs> or that there's their life is actually in danger somewhere and they i mean yeah Exactly. That whole concept, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. that whole concept is definitely a, a hurdle that I'm regularly running into. And then with the immigrant community, it's a little bit of the same that I think they don't realize that um, it's n it's more complicated than they think it is in some ways. I think sometimes people who do um, come to the U.S., whether it's undocumented or through visas or whatever, they don't realize that how lengthy or how complicated it can be to then apply for lawful status. Um, and some of that is also due to just stories maybe people will share with each other, which sometimes it's helpful, but then other times they will leave out very important details about yeah. 
their cases and that one small detail will make a difference in how you go about the process. And so suddenly when you have to tell them that there's this difference, they're like, oh, but this person told me it's different. Like, obviously, mm. you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so then you become the problem that doesn't then, know what you're exactly, doing. Exactly. Like, then I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, you know what? That's fine. You just, you go ahead and, you know, do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, but I'm just constantly having to, like, explain or re-explain a lot of these things to people and bring them into the reality of the situation as it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a, just a lot of confusion about that, and the reality of it is is not as rosy as people want to think that it is. Yeah. Um, how do you keep yourself balanced? Because I, I mean, you're in this. It's a very heavy um, process. It's you know very lengthy. I run away a lot. Do you? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you know, just even from reading your, um, you know, your anecdotes and um, obviously just having family that's gone through it and just reading other people's stories in the news, like it's a very, I mean, I assume it can be very taxing. So like, how do you, you know, and I can't imagine what the worst case scenarios are and, you know, what, what the worst of the worst are, but like, how do you not go sort of crazy or how do you yeah Yeah, it's very hard i've i've come up on that edge a couple of times yeah um and then also the fact that i do this without drinking i shock myself every day you don't drink at all (laughs) don't drink at all oh wow that's probably a good thing that i don't because i'm like i can see how attorneys a lot of them are alcoholics (laughs) but it can be very taxing um burnout is very real like you have to be very on top of it in terms of um self-care yeah with a lot of this stuff and especially if you're the type of person who's doing this work and i feel that i am and a lot of immigration attorneys are you're doing it this this because you really want to help and you're invested in the work and you're invested in who you're helping yeah like i care about my clients and what happens to them and that can be really difficult um when things don't go smoothly or there are these complications plus you have you know people are in these desperate situations with high needs they're coming to you with all of their stuff and you can handle some of that but it can become overwhelming so it's really important to like create time for yourself to regroup yeah so i try to um you know not work weekends if i can as difficult as that maybe sometimes keep che- yeah i know as i keep checking my phone i've yeah. definitely been working this weekend yeah. but i try not to make that like a routine thing and just create time for myself spend time with friends and family where i can I travel as a way to just kind of like disconnect and regroup and, and, and get away from things for myself, even for a short amount of time. But that, mm-hmm. even if it's a week, 10 days, whatever, it kind of helps um, because it really can be very like emotionally and mentally draining. taxing yeah. and draining. And as much as you love helping who you help, when it becomes overwhelming, you're no good to them, you're no good to yourself, you just can't really be effective in the process. So it's very important to, to like, take care of yourself yeah do you ever get um like as the go-to in your family or your community of like all things u.s immigration mm-hmm. um are there ever times where you have to not block your family but like has there yeah, ever I been no, but I mean, you know, like, oh, you know, she's that, you know, she's Albanian, she knows if you have all, you know, go over there, blah blah blah. Like, does it ever get to be like do you ever feel taken advantage of? I mean, it's your work, so obviously it's like what you do. I, don't, I guess I'm trying to, 
how you know families kind of like lean very heavily on the one resource that they absolutely and that can be even more draining because Mm. they got your cell phone number and feel it's appropriate to call you in the middle of the night with their very quick question right yeah um but i've and early on i feel like that was harder for me to establish boundaries but i have since or in more recent years really just established those boundaries regardless and even if it's family members like if they've got an immigration question i'm like you need to call me during regular business hours on my business number because this is a work-related thing and that can be very uncomfortable for them because you know our people they're like oh but why it's just you know you know us we're we're the same thing yeah and we why can't we just deal with this as a real quick thing um but work is work yeah and so i just remind people like we all work we all have our jobs nobody is trying to leave work and then go home and keep working (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Whatever your work is, you want to go home and just eat dinner and relax, right? So it's taken a lot of training to like just try to get and get people in in those spaces and, and enforce your boundaries, um, which is another thing our people don't know about boundaries. What the fuck doesn't is exist? That? Doesn't exist. <laughs> so the more you have to like reinforce these boundaries, the more uncomfortable it can be with people. But and ultimately, you just have to be okay with the fact that some people are going to get it and some people are not. And those who don't get it, they're going to constantly be a problem and a headache for you. So do you really want to be dealing with them? Yeah. Um, And, you know, that is what it is. I can't change people. Yeah. But even if it is family, I try to stick to a professional routine with them as far as, like, work is related. So I'll schedule an appointment for them. We do a consultation. We do an intake just the way that I would any normal client. Yeah. Um, And that's also for professional liability reasons because... If you're half-assing it, there's a higher chance that something's going to go wrong. So it's a disservice to them, ultimately, if you're just trying to do, like, the quick shortcut way because that's that's opportunity for things to to be missed. Yeah. So I try to remind them about stuff like that. Um, yeah, and the other thing that people will do is if they know that I have somebody else's case, they're like, oh, so what's going on with those those oh, case? Oh, <laughs> not, not, not nosy Nancy. <laughs> no, we got a lot of those. No. Um, and so... I'm like I can't it's kind of confidentiality I don't care who knows who like I have to be the one to be like no you got to ask them about that like you can't ask me and that can be very stressful for people too they're like well why I mean they already know they told me that you're dealing with the case I'm like yeah I know they did but I can't tell you anything (laughs) man there's a lot of boundaries that you're like balancing while doing this work within your community um so you've been practicing out of milwaukee out of wisconsin um for how long have you been doing it's not like over a decade Mm, 11 years yeah oh my gosh Mm -hmm. have you seen um a difference in the conversation around immigration at least in your community where you serve like since when you first started and like now is there more understanding or more resources or has have people become more hostile or like what is kind of the what have you seen change i think maybe in the 10 years or so that you've been doing this work 11 years um it's always been hostile on some level Mm. i feel like it's never really been like hey everybody loves immigrants is it because of the region of where where you do your work as opposed to maybe an an urban more urban area even in in more urban areas i think just like politics overall Mm -hmm. in the way that they treat the subject um are a, a large part of what impacts that so milwaukee does have a pretty 
diverse population for the size that it has and within those communities it's not that big of an issue but again you're running into this um, problem with misconceptions and the way things are treated in the media and how people suddenly like latch onto that and think that that's what reality is um, early on so I started with my work in 2012 um, I feel like at that time there definitely were um, policies that impacted the community in a negative way but then through the Trump years things got way worse yeah like for everybody across the board and so in the last couple of years it's gotten a little bit smoother relatively speaking but that's because the Trump years were so fucking bad <laughs> it's like you can't really get a lot worse <laughs> so um, I feel like it's it's coming up a little bit um, you know, and there is sympathy for the community as well. Um, but I feel like it's just been really limiting because not enough is being done to like actually have meaningful change. Yeah. Like the laws are still what they are. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, international politics and geopolitics continue to play a role in all of that in terms of like a lot of the migrants that are coming up from Central and South America and all the things that are happening globally that has impacts here. And that shifts um, opinions across the board, too. Yeah. What would you say, or what can you tell us a little bit about your work of, like, who you're serving mainly? Like, what where are a lot of your clients coming from? The vast majority of my clients are Mexican. Okay. Because that's the largest uh, immigrant community in Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I feel like I have a little bit of, of everybody. Um, so I do have a few, you know quite a few clients from Central and South America, Southeast Asia, South Asia, African countries kind of scattered all over, East, West, wherever. Um, And then the Balkans as well in Europe. So I feel like the Balkans have been kind of late in the game because I don't advertise myself out there for those reasons we just talked about. Because I feel like, you know, the minute they find out, they just kind of want to run to the door and be like, hey, remember? Priorities. (laughs) We're we're a priority. And I'm like, no, we just have to kind of stick to the same protocol for everybody. Um, But yeah, I I do get quite a few clients from there as well. That's so interesting. I love that you're like setting boundaries because I'm sure that can get (laughs) overwhelming. Like, so where, where... where in the U.S. is, like, where are your people? Like, where are most Albanians? You know, like, D.C. has a lot of Abishas, and, like, Minnesotans have the a lot Albany of Somalis. Yeah. Um, there's a large community in the Chicago area, actually. Really? In the Chicago area. Northwest shub- suburbs, like Schaumburg, uh-huh. Elgin has a huge community. Okay. Um, and then those kind of start moving up into southern Wisconsin, like Kenosha area. Oh. a huge Albanian community. Okay. Um, so there's quite a, a, a large expands kind of in this in this area mm-hmm. um the other big pocket is new york There's a very large albanian community in the new york area like bronx especially um so i don't know that community as well I haven't been out there but i know that there's a ton of them out there as well and yeah. those are like the two big pockets i think um there is an older community in the detroit area oh um and then outside of that they're just kind of scattered everywhere honestly if there's like a weird middle of nowhere like village (laughs) and there's a guy named steve who sounds like he probably isn't steve he's probably albanian (laughs) that's so funny Uh, i asked that because i was gonna say like why not just would have you ever considered just serving 
like your the Albanian community and no, not just it would drive it would, me fucking crazy. Really, <laughs> I couldn't do That's it. Honest, I'm not mad at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I listen. I love them and I appreciate the support, but like, they would drive me fucking crazy. Like, if yeah. I had to deal with just them so. all day, all day, I can't do it because again, it's the boundary issue. Mm. Like, it's just not that same. Yeah, it's very personal. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And then everybody knows everybody, and I've had it happen more than once where somebody will just not respect one of my boundaries, and guess who I'm hearing it from? Suddenly my dad is calling me, because oh. this person called my dad to complain, and my dad's calling me being like, hey, so so-and-so called and said they're having trouble getting an appointment. I'm like, no, they have an appointment, it's just for two, three weeks out, and they don't like it. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so then, you know, my my family gets involved, but, yeah. and I'm like, okay, I don't want that issue of those boundaries being co- crossed. Like, yeah. work needs to be work, and yeah. the family and, and home is home. But like, I don't I don't need all this. Yeah. <laughs> Have you also told your like if you know someone from the community is coming to them, you know, tell them like, no, okay, just go through Kimi, like she'll you know whatever. Or do they feel obligated to like? Hey, by the way, you know, they've gotten better about it over time, but I think they just uh, sometimes feel like also overwhelmed or run down because it'll yeah. be the same person calling them over and over again. And it's yeah. like, okay, I'll call her or whatever. So, you know, then they're having to deal with it on, on something that they shouldn't have to. Yeah. Um, so that's another aspect of it that I just, or another reason that I don't like dealing exclusively with my people because they try yeah. to, to use those workarounds, right? Even though it's not a workaround, but you're still going to get on <laughs> you the shut calendar it down. you get on the calendar. Yeah. Um, and that's just out of fairness to everybody. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm here to serve all immigrants of all communities equally, and it doesn't, you know, I, I don't do the whole, like, priority thing. Um, would you, would you, um, I don't know anything about your personal life, but would you date another attorney or another, like, immigration attorney? Or, like, I feel like some people are very particular about not dating someone in their field or industry yeah i don't think that i have any specific reservations around it i would yeah if all other things lined up maybe yeah i don't know how that would work and like on a practical level it might turn out that we're like just together all day a hot mess all day oh really (laughs) right well and and just kind of you know having the same uh things to like complain about would probably drive us crazy i don't know um, but I don't like off the top of my head. I feel like I wouldn't have necessarily a specific reservation against that. I'm like it's fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. If you weren't an immigration attorney, what would you be doing? Would you do you think you would have just stayed in the business world or what? I'd probably be a samba dancer. I don't know. <laughs> Is that a thing that you like samba dancing? I just I love dancing. Okay. Um, I love music and I love dance. Um, so I I don't know that I would be that. But okay. <laughs> um, if I'd had like an opportunity. Probably when I was much younger um, to do yeah. something with that, I probably would have taken it. But yeah, really? I, yeah, I'd have fun. I love dancing. I love music. I love okay. travel. Okay, like, I love all of that. So. What were you doing um, when you were working in marketing advertising? Like, were you at an agency or were you working? I was at an agency, so mm-hmm. I worked at two different um, advertising agencies. I worked specifically in like brand planning. 
Yeah. So we need to like market research, figure out like what's behind a brand, how to develop a brand, kind of do the research pieces of it, mm-hmm. not necessarily the the creative and all of that. Yeah. Um, figure out who is your market, who's your you know who are you trying to target to, what are they into, kind of doing all of that sort of thing. Yeah. So. Did you find that it helped at all in your transition to law, or was it just kind of like okay, well I did that, now I have to kind of start over. Um, it has helped because. On top of the attorney piece of it, I also have my own practice, so I run a business. Yeah. So the business pieces of it definitely come into play in terms of, you know, figuring out, like, do I need to market? Who do I market to? How do I reach my audience? Um, that sort of a thing. So those pieces do play into it somewhat. Um, not all the time in the same ways, just because the immigrant community and how you market them has is very different. Like, yeah. it's a lot of word of mouth. Um, you know, people just kind of like talk to each other and all of a sudden they'll refer you to their friends and family if they feel like you're doing a good job. Yeah. Um, but with social media and all these other things, like that's another piece of it. And that is present in my mind in a lot of, in a lot of ways as well, just because of that kind of business background. Yeah. From before. Okay. Um, if you could have a conversation with yourself when you were younger, when you were kind of deciding (laughs) whether or not to transition into immigration law or just deciding like what advice would you have like knowing everything that you know now like what would you have what advice would you have given yourself um great question and i don't know that i honestly would have a lot i think like just in terms of like the boundaries and things like that put those into place a lot earlier because hmm. um, I feel like the first few years, I underestimated that, and burnout is very real. Do you ever get tired of your job? Do you like, oh, I kind of want to stop and just go back to business and branding? <laughs> no. Really? No, I don't. That's like, amazing. Business and branding was fun because I appreciated, like, the branding piece of it has, like, psychology in it. So, you know, you're mm. dealing with people and yeah. how they think and how they act and how they buy things and, and all of that. And we are a very consumer culture, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I appreciated that piece of it. But at the same time, the places that I worked at were corporate places, corporate culture. Yeah. I can't do corporate culture. Why? I, this ain't for me at all. Like the ass kissing that happen in, that happens in those spaces, I can't fucking do. I yeah. can't fake shit to nobody. Yeah. <laughs> like, you also can't do a lot of ass kissing in immigration either. It's like either you, you have a paperwork or you don't. Or exactly. You, yeah. um, but, you know, if Susan comes at me sideways, I'm going to have to tell Susan what it is. And like that doesn't work in corporate settings. <laughs> yeah. What's the worst part of your job? Like what's the part that you don't like doing? The worst part of my job, hmm, there's probably a lot. I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Or the thing that drains you the most or like causes you the most, like just why is the world like this kind of? I think one of the things that can be very draining is um, having to repeat a lot of what I say to clients. Hmm. So, you know, you're having to deal with people who obviously don't go through this process every day. This is like a new thing yeah. to to my client whoever is going through the process. So, they're not used to it and a lot of times it's hard for them to like follow instructions or understand what I'm asking them. So, just having to like repeat myself or being questioned sometimes, you know, just because their friend 
told them something different and so suddenly having to like correct the misconceptions that their friend passed on can be very draining because it's like okay i have real work to do yeah so it's a lot (laughs) of misinformation a lot of misinformation that Mm. i'm constantly having to correct that can be very draining yeah um another piece of it is every now and then you'll be dealing with somebody who is really just disqualified from all forms of relief Mm. Um, or doesn't have an avenue to to deal with whatever they were hoping to deal with and you have to be the bearer of bad news about that so that can be challenging um and then the third thing is dealing with the government (laughs) my god I've seen a lot of your stories talking about with these officers or like the court or the judge or blah blah blah. Like yeah. it's, they're literally just fucking winging it every day. Really, <laughs> I swear to God. Uh-huh. Like they're just winging this shit every day, and you're having to be the one to explain to your client why things happened the way that they did because the government didn't follow whatever pattern. And if they make a mistake, it's like you have to wait another 15 years or something until they fix it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you have to go through all this process. And in their mind, it doesn't make sense because everybody thinks like, oh, but this is America. Things make sense here. Mm. It doesn't. What's up with the backlog law? Is it just because we don't have enough like people in government that are processing applications? Or is, I mean, obviously there's a lot of policy and stuff with it, but. Some of it. Is it just staffing or what? Um, Some of it is staffing. Mm. Um, With some applications, like through the pandemic, everything got a little bit slowed down and backlogged. So some of it is that. Other things like the sibling petitions that we were talking about earlier, those uh, are backlogged because there are quotas. They can Mm. only approve a certain number of those visas per year. Gotcha. And then once that number fills up, everybody has to wait until like the next whatever 10,000 20,000 whatever that cap is opens up yeah and so they can only admit x amount of number per year and there are so many people in that category who have filed that the line is just forever long but it's because of those those caps that are just there by law yeah so okay we talked about some of the worst things what are some of the best things that you love about your job um really being able to help people through a difficult process and for a lot of my clients they've been waiting a very long time or been living in the shadows for a very long time and so being able to bring them out of that shadow and then all of a sudden they've got this huge weight lifted off of their shoulders it's like they're brand new people and so i feel like you know helping them kind of get in that in that space and in that new life is very rewarding um, I also deal with people who are victims of certain crimes or have gone through like very difficult situations uh, with family, with whatever it may be. And so helping them kind of like at least get one thing in order yeah. um, is very rewarding. Um, What's the average um, time it takes for you, like from when you get a case to it's seeing a su- <laughs> successful <laughs> outcome? <laughs> Uh, how long have I been doing this? <laughs> That's wild. Forever years. I just had a trial. So I'm in Chicago this yeah. weekend because I had a trial on Thursday. Okay. Um, that client has been in these proceedings since 2015. Wow. What year are we in? <laughs> like About eight to be years. 2024. Yeah. Yeah. So they, it's it's an eight year case, and we're still not even completely done. Like, we still have to finish something up. Hopefully, by February, we have a final decision. But still, it's like eight, nine years or something like that. Even the most, quote-unquote, basic cases where there are no complications, it's just somebody filing for their husband or wife or whoever who's overseas to come to the U.S., that's going to be a year and a half at best, maybe two years. 
That, and that's, that's a quick one. Mm. Uh, everything else is taking a lot of times even longer than that. So yeah, you know, you're taking these, these on for a minute once you, once you start a process. When do you, um, or when do you think you'll decide like, okay, I can't do this anymore? I feel like I run into that question every week. <laughs> because, you know, it's, I mean, you, you have a very, like, immigration lawyers have a very difficult job because it is a very lengthy process. It's not something, it's not a project that just ends in a couple months or yeah. even a year or anything. So, I mean, you're investing a significant amount of your time into this person's life, et cetera. But, you, you know, when, I don't know, like, do you just kind of see yourself doing this? Certain cases, yes. So, like, yeah. the court stuff, the removal cases that definitely take a really long time and are very inconsistent and draining, I stopped taking those years ago. Okay. I haven't taken on new court-specific cases since probably 2017 or 18 Yeah. at the latest. Yeah. So, it's already been a few years, largely for that reason, because they just take so long. Everything changes in the meantime. You're having to redo a lot of stuff. It's just a lot of, like, upkeep and and. and constantly having to fight for like one case yeah. plus everything else that you have to do in the meantime and i'm a solo so like i work you don't for have myself team. by myself i don't yeah. have a team i'm having to do a lot of stuff on my own and i just don't have the the bandwidth and the resources to be doing a lot of that stuff mm. you know so i made the decision that those sorts of cases i'll typically just refer to people who specialize in it Mm -hmm. um, and focus on on the other stuff but even those are taking quite a while um, so I don't know I haven't thought about when but I'm sure it'll get to a point where I'm gonna slowly like kind of ease up on what I want to take and you know how long I want to be doing this yeah when you first started out did you ever s catch yourself or maybe in hindsight see like if your own personal immigration experiences or just experience with the whole you know what you know of the law and then based on your own personal did you ever uh experience any sort of um i, don't, I guess bias or anything maybe with some of the communities Trigger. that you serve <laughs> <laughs> i'm always curious because you know if you have somebody who's working in a specific you know specific group like we kind of met, talked about it earlier of like what are some of the misunderstandings from like other immigrant communities like Mm -hmm. you know when they're in this in this process but like did you ever you know see yourself in the beginning you know when you just starting off and like oh why do i you know what what is what's happening what's all of this about <laughs> yeah um in some ways yes like there are certain kinds of cases so like i mentioned i deal with um people who have been like victims of certain crimes or have had a lot of like certain issues going on and and uh, some of that is stuff that i have also personally lived through or know people who have okay um, whether it's like domestic issues or marital problems or whatever people may be going through, um, mental and emotional harm that people experience. And a lot of our communities don't really know anything about that. Yeah. Like the, we're not very open about, for example, depression or anxiety or all of these things that kind of just happen in yeah. life as you kind of go through life. And so having maybe personally lived through some of that stuff or having personally dealt with people in my immediate family or even extended family who have had those situations and growing up you just kind of see that seeing that then from clients perspectives or clients that come in with those issues i especially early on didn't know how to process that because it was a, a new 
angle of it and now I wasn't in it but now I had to think about it as the attorney and kind of like distance myself from it yeah but it was hard to create that that barrier and it still is Hmm. um, in a lot of ways Um, so that's been really a learning experience but in, in a way I also feel like it makes me a stronger advocate because I can understand what that battle is like for somebody from a very personal level um, and I don't, you know, I don't think like my clients sometimes realize that because again, they're coming from these communities where these issues happen, but they don't have a name for it or, yeah. or know how to like process or understand it. And I'm like, it's okay. I got it. <laughs> I'll take it from here Yeah, <laughs> and can put it for them in a way that like makes sense in an application process, for example, or in an immigration system that is looking for that stuff, but people don't necessarily know how to code it. Yeah. So, yeah. But other than that, I still feel to this day that I'm doing what I was meant to do. Really? Which, in a lot of ways, I feel very fortunate in that sense because I think like there are a lot of people who don't feel that way about the work that they do or have a hard time finding things where they can feel that way about it. So feeling like I have found something that is really like for me and where I can be of, of most service to my community and to the world that I live in, um, I feel very fortunate that way. This is amazing. You're doing such amazing work. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Kime Abduli, for talking with Thank me today. You. Thank you. This has been fun. I appreciate this. Foreignish is produced by me, the host. Our theme is Man vs. Self, the Eric Jackson remix instrumental by Paradox Hip Hop. You can learn more about this show and our guests on our social media. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us next time.